Welcome, market participants, to another Three Things in Credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week, we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. We've got a fresh set of dot plots and terminal rates and narratives for you to chew on this holiday season. Enough already. It's time to turn the page. But before we do, one last three things. This week, our three things are one, growth concerns. Inflation concerns are so 2022. Two, bank valuations. What those say about this cycle. And three, treasury volatility. It should settle down, and that should be good for credit. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. Lots of chatter out there that we have moved on to a new phase in markets, one focused more on growth concerns rather than inflation concerns. Now, not to be nitpicky here, but to us, it's always about growth, but we take the point. The Fed is nearing the end of its tightening cycle, and now market participants will turn their attention to assessing the impact of 2022's dramatic tightening of financial conditions. Right off the bat, one observation is that risk markets have not priced in a recession. Credit spreads in both investment grade and high yield are not only well inside recession levels, but they're inside long-term averages. And forward stock multiples, similarly, are above their respective long-term averages. And that said, cyclical sectors such as banks, transportation, energy, and consumer discretionary have all underperformed the S&P 500 since the 1st of November. Something seems to be afoot. This old bank analyst finds the banking sector's performance most interesting because of two countervailing forces that shape investor sentiment. On one hand, rising rates are a good thing for banks as it allows for margin expansion. Banks mechanically will reprice interest-sensitive assets, loans, faster than their interest-sensitive funding deposits. The result is higher profitability. On the other hand, Fed tightening cycles almost always lead to recession, which means banks incur higher loan losses. That result is lower profitability. So, net-net, which force is dominating the other at this stage of the cycle? Clearly, shareholders today are more concerned with the prospect of higher loan losses. Since the Fed started hiking rates back in March, bank stocks' total return is down 20% compared to the broader market's 8% downdraft. This differential has gotten a bit more pronounced over the past month as Fed Chair Powell continues to reiterate what the market struggles to acknowledge, that economic pain is likely on the way, while a monetary policy pivot is not likely anytime soon. So how bad might it get? More for this, we again look to the bank sector, adding in this time a view from the credit markets. Bank stocks in the aggregate continue to trade well above tangible book value, which implies that asset values, mostly loan values, are appropriately valued. We get concerned when price-to-book values fall meaningfully below one. That was the case clearly in 2008-9 in the GFC and in 2012 in the wake of the euro crisis and the U.S. Treasury downgrade. And U.S. bank credit spreads have been well-behaved of late with the Bloomberg Investment-Grade Subordinated Debt Index bouncing 9% from its recent low in October. That tells us that the view from investors is that the banks are all right and that the economic contraction is expected to be mild. All right, on to our second thing, our labor problem. Now, a key underpinning of our view that the recession is likely to be a mild one is that the problem, higher than desired inflation, is known 
as is the solution, tamping down demand and waiting for supply constraints to ease. Research suggests that two-thirds of the inflation problem is related to the supply side of that equation, and those are easing dramatically as shown in the New York Fed's Global Supply Chain Pressure Index. As for the other third, overheated demand, that is being impacted by what the Fed can control through tightening of financial conditions, which has hit interest-sensitive sectors such as housing, autos, and durable goods, all things that are typically financed. And by all accounts, the Fed's tightening program is working. So it feels like we're in pretty good shape to meet the consensus view that CPI inflation could be below 3% by this time a year from now. But there is one piece of this puzzle that is not cooperating, the labor market, which remains unusually tight. Now, that doesn't strike most folks as something we should worry about, especially in a consumer spend-driven economy. But that tightness is keeping alive the thing that worries any central banker and investor, and that is a wage price spiral. So far, measures of inflation expectations, which is a necessary condition in a wage price spiral, have been relatively in check. But it feels like the one piece of the inflation problem that could keep the Fed from pivoting anytime soon. Regular listeners to the podcast know our chief concern regarding labor in the U.S. is that there's not enough workers to satisfy demand. And that shortage acts as a material drag on the economy in two ways. One, it holds back economic activity, something we see consistently in surveys such as the Fed's Beige Book and the NFIB's Small Business Updates. And two, It pressures wages, keeping that wage price spiral in the inflation discussion. The shortage of workers is something that Fed Chair Powell has alluded to for a while now, but really is emphasized at his recent appearance at Brookings and in his comments made at the December FOMC meeting. The problem, according to Powell, is attributed to accelerated retirements, COVID-19 deaths, and a drop in immigration. He sees a shortage of 3.5 million workers which, at 2% of the civilian labor force of 164 million, doesn't sound like a lot, but it's enough to keep pressure on wages and enough to hold back economic growth. And throw in longer-term demographic shifts, such as the aging population and the fall-off in labor participation among women, and this is shaping up to be a problem without an easy fix. The near-term issue for investors is that this is sure to delay any Fed pivot likely until 2024 in all probability. And longer term, it will reduce economic growth potential. All right, on to our third thing, stability at the end of the tunnel. Looking back, financial historians will characterize 2022 as the year of rates risk, while 2023 will go down as a year of credit risk. What made 2022 a tough year for market participants is that treasuries, the risk-free rate upon which all risk assets sit, exhibited historically high volatility as measured by the Move Index, topped only by the GFC in the past 20 years. What drove the volatility was clear in retrospect, but almost entirely unexpected. A massive misread of inflation by the market, which triggered the most aggressive central bank hiking cycle since the 1980s. All of which was complicated by what we see as a misguided communication directive from constantly chattering FOMC members. Sometimes, less is more. The result of all of this was windows for issuance opened and shut sometimes in the wink of an eye, seemingly all year long as investors were constantly chasing the story. The good news, we assume, 
is that the risk-free rate should settle down in 2023. The Fed is near the end of its tightening cycle, and the 10-year is expected to decline from 4% to 3.5% over the course of the upcoming year. That is, if you believe consensus. Thus, the focus in 2023 on credit. Its performance has been muted through the COVID period, and quite frankly since the GFC, by extraordinarily loose monetary policy around the globe. With political pressure to sweep that policy into the dustbin of financial history, at least for now, credit will normalize in the good old-fashioned way. And our sense is that investors are more confident in their ability to forecast and manage credit risk than they are rates. That's not to imply that there won't be surprises along the way. There are a lot of zombies out there that proliferated and sustained through the QE era, and that day of reckoning is likely to be here. Nevertheless, we are likely moving to a more stable, less interfered with, and less volatile environment. And all of that should be good for credit. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, growth concerns. It is replacing inflation as the market's focal point. Two, bank valuations. Bank stock and bond performance suggest the severity of this cycle is expected to be mild. And three, treasury volatility. Look for it to settle down in the new year. As always, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for our latest research and ratings reports. Enjoy the rest of the holiday season, and we'll see you in the new year. Hello, listeners. Join me, Van Hesser, KBRA's chief strategist for in-depth conversations with credit experts in my new monthly podcast, Leading Voices in Credit, where I'll interview market professionals on the latest trends in credit markets. That's Leading Voices in Credit with Van Hesser. Subscribe now.